All right, we're going to be dealing with something that's seemingly quite a controversial topic when you think about it, but when you start elaborating a little bit more, find that it's actually not controversial, only in as much as we believe in it. And that is the question that is brought down from the, the principles of faith of the Ramba. Now, the 13 principles of faith, which uh, would be familiar to many of you through the idea of, of the, the song Anima Amin. So everyone knows who I Anima Amin be'emunah shlema be'viyat ha'mashiach. Uh, which is uh, always sung at weddings and bar mitzvahs. But it's one of 13 animamis, 13 principles of faith is the way it's uh, loosely translated, of, in a nutshell, what does Judaism believe? And it, it has a couple of different manifestations. One is the animamims, there are 13 of them. The another, which is not necessarily well known, is actually the Yigdal prayer. Yigdal that we say on Friday night says is the custom in the diaspora. Yigdal is uh, the 13, these exact uh, 13 principles in a different format. And these principles of faith are largely understood as the, uh, the core of what uh, Jewish faith is, Jewish belief, and let's say what Orthodox faith is. And I say that limits <coughs> because there's no question that uh, non-Orthodox streams of Judaism would definitely not buy into a lot of them. Um, but what uh, Lish would say that orthodoxy would believe in these thir- these 13 principles of faith. Now, the ones that we're going to focus on this evening is number eight and nine, um, and I have them on the top of the sheet here. I believe with a complete faith. The entire Torah as it is found in our hands now. That is the Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, was given to Moses. <clears throat> the Torah we read today is the Torah that Moses got at Har Sinai. Now, whether we got it at Har Sinai, he got it over the course of the 40 years in the wilderness um, is a question, but let's say when Moshe gave the Torah to B'nai Israel, the Torah that he gave is the Torah we have. Now, the ninth one is that the Torah will never be exchanged and there will be no other Torah from the Creator. Now, that one is interesting, has been put in because even if you believe that the Torah we've got is the Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, doesn't necessarily mean that the Torah hasn't been replaced. Now, the, uh, that is what the Christian argument would have been, is that yes, the Torah was given to Moses at Sinai, but there's been a later edition, and the New Testament comes because we would say that they believe that the New Testament is null, in, the Old Testament is null and void because of the New Testament. They would say that the New, Old Testament has been fulfilled through Jesus, and therefore uh, the New Testament is the new law. But that whole ideal is what uh, principle number nine comes to refute. Or alternatively, the Muslim claim is that the Torah that we have has been corrupted by the Jews, and that the the Quran is in fact the original text of what the Torah was given. So did Moses give the Torah to, to the Israelites? Yes, but then the Israelites corrupted it and the Quran is the uh, is the more authentic version of the Torah. So uh, whichever way you look at it, the one we want to refocus on predominantly this evening is going to be number eight, is that the Torah we have today is the Torah that Moshe got at Mount Sinai. Now, is that true? And now the Rambam says it. So uh, seemingly it's something quite you know clear. And we see throughout that any time you ensure and people are reading the Torah, you're going to find that there's going to be a, if there's a mistake in the Torah, so what happens is the Torah is replaced. We take, we the Torah is pasul, you're not allowed to read from the Torah until such time as it is corrected, which suggests that we are so particular and so um, meticulous in ensuring that the Torah remains consistent and remains authentic to its original uh, creed, that we will not read from it, it is not true. 
Now, just to show where does the Rambam get this from, and this is not, you should appreciate, is not these, thir- these 13 principles of faith of the Rambam were never really set out in the, in the way that they are presented in the Animamims of the Yigdal. Rather, in the introduction to the ninth chapter of the Tractate in Sanhedrin, um, he had, it's called the Hakdamala Perukhailek, and it's what Rambam sort of goes through Jewish philosophy about, uh, about faith in general. And in those are 13 sort of principles. Now, I'm just going to go through some of the ideas that he, that he quotes. So he, over here, he says, uh, So let me just, sorry, I've just got something in my screen here. Um, so you can read the English. I will translate as I read. It's something that is obvious and clear that the, Torah, that the mitzvah, the Torah that we've commanded is uh, permanent for all time. It can't change. There's nothing lacking. Nothing can be removed from it. Nothing can be added to it. And he quotes a verse in the Torah. That everything that I, Hashem, have commanded you, that you shall do. And you can't add to the Torah, you can't detract from the Torah. Now, parenthetically, that idea of adding or subtracting from the Torah is usually meant to add mitzvot to the Torah. So, for example, adding an extra blessing to Birkat Konim or extra strings to the Tzitzur or extra parasha to the Tefillin. That is understood. Or Tigru'u is like, oh, you can, uh, you remove mitzvahs from the Torah. So you can't do that. So explicitly in the Torah, it says you can't add, you can't subtract. V'nei quotes another verse. That those which are revealed are for us and our, our descendants forever. So they call it Torah to fulfill all of the Torah. So it's forever. The Torah doesn't change. So we see that the Torah that we have been given is a command forever. And time again says it is an eternal decree. And furthermore, it says that the Torah is not in heaven. So no prophet can come along and add something new to it. Therefore, so you should know that just hear this ringing in your ears, what the, what the Rambam is referring Should any mem- members, any person, whether he be Jewish or not, and he comes and does any miracle wonder, and he says that Hashem sent him, Lo'asif mitzvah oligro mitzvah, so to either to add a new mitzvah or to, to, to remove one of the mitzvot or to explain it in a way that we've never heard it explained from Moshe or to say that the mitzvahs that were given by Moshe are no longer relevant. That is the definition of a false prophet. Because he is coming to refute the prophecy of Moses. Can we put him to death, etc., etc. So the Rambam is very, very clear. That we see time and time again that this is a mitzvah. or The Torah that we have gotten is forever. It is never going to change. It is for now and forever. And anyone who comes to do so um, is, uh, is a heretic. So we carry on. So later in the laws of um, in the laws of Purim, 
because Purim is quite interesting because Purim is, is a festival that seemingly is added onto the Torah. So the Rambam says as follows. I'm going to, I'll just go into the English here. All the prophetic books and sacred writings will cease to be recited in public during the Messianic era, except for the book of Esther. So we read the Haftorah all the time and we read the Megillot. So the book of Ruth, the book of Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, etc. All of these will cease to be read. The only book that will be read is going to be the book of Esther. It will continue to exist just as the five books of the Torah and the laws of the Oral Torah never cease. But the five books of Torah will always be read. Although ancient troubles will be remembered no longer as ruined, even though, and this is seemingly referring to a messianic era, that things are going to be much better and we're not going to remember the past, the days of Purim will never be abolished. Nevertheless, even though we're not going to remember, so it's not going to be a Tishabav, there's not going to be any other fast days, and that is that Purim will be there forever. Meaning that everything else, so even though many of the, let's say, rabbinic, Days of commemoration. So yesterday was a fast day. Yud Tammuz, the seventeenth of Tammuz, and even though the seventeenth of Tammuz, in the times of the Messianic era, will no longer be commemorated as a fast day. In fact, there are even those who want to suggest that nowadays we shouldn't celebrate, commemorate these days because to commemorate the destruction of a temple, we've got a state of Israel. So why are we commemorating destruction if the state of Israel is, is flourishing? Maybe we shouldn't. So, so the majority say, well, until such time as there's a temple, we do do have to commemorate these things. Anyway, so carrying on, it seems very clear from the Rambam, and seemingly this has been Jewish practice from time immemorial, is that the Torah that we have is the Torah that we got at Harasina, and it has never changed. Now, albeit that as a man of faith, that is something you want to believe, it's very hard to believe that that's the case, because the Judaism that we practice, there's no question, has changed significantly from the time of Moses. So Moshe, if Moshe were to come into my house, he wouldn't understand why we're doing a lot of things we're doing. Or more so, if I were going to Moses' house, I'm not sure I'd be able to eat there. Because even though it might be kosher, there have been so many rabbinic uh, decrees and rabbinic uh, stringencies that have come along. So for example, by Torah law, it is permissible to eat meat, uh, to eat uh, chicken and milk together. But we hold that you can't have chicken and milk. And uh, in, 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 by biblical law, there's no prohibition to eat meat and milk um, after one another, you can't eat them together. If they, you can't eat them together, but you can eat one after the other. You can have, you can have, uh, I don't know. You could have uh, meat, meat meal followed by ice cream for dessert. And it doesn't seem to be any Torah prohibition. But we would never do those sort of things. So a lot of things have changed. But the way we would answer it is that no one's saying that <clears throat> that the Torah has changed. That is rabbinic decree that we realize that the world is different and we need more stringencies to sort of uh, allow us to. Um, to function within a world where mistakes could be made. And that's what we're being. But the Torah has never changed. So that is the proposition. The question is, 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 is that entirely true? So now we're going to go through a whole series of other philosophers within Judaism that seem to take great issue with the Rambam. They are all post-Rambanic as far as time goes. So first we're going to start with the Ebenezer. So here is literally from the, the, the final chapter in the entire Torah. So we believe the Torah. Torah Moshe. This is Torah written by Moshe. So the last verse in the Torah is literally. Ve'yal Moshe. My little pen here. Okay. Ve'yal Moshe. There we there. And Moshe went up. Ba'arvot Moab al Went up Harnavo. Rosh HaPisca onto the top of the mountain. Asher opna Yerincho over Jericho. V'yerenia Hashem ekola aritz al-gilad adan. And Hashem showed him the whole world. Alright, so that's the last bit. So says Ibn Ezra. So Ibn Ezra is um, Spanish commentary. Um, 
uh, not a contemporary, but around the time of the Rambam, a little bit later, if I'm not mistaken, but says as follows, Lefidati, in my humble opinion, Kimizea Pasu Katuv Yehoshua, from this point onwards, you know who wrote the Torah? Joshua wrote the Torah. Because why? Because it says, and Moshe went up the mountain, and he went up there, and he saw what he saw, and then he died on the mountain, and he was buried there. So hold on a second. How could Moshe write who, that, that he went up the mountain? The Torah was down here with us. Moshe was up there. Moshe goes up. He dies on the mountain. We never see him again. From our point of view, from those of us down here, we see Moses go up the mountain. That's the end of the story. We have a book that tells us exactly what happens when he goes up the mountain. So how exactly do we get that? So the Gomorrah itself talks about different options that maybe Moshe wrote it with tears, whatever that means. But what Evan is has come and said clear is Moshe didn't write it. So the Torah we have, we think is, oh, the, the Torah is, is written all by Moshe. It's, no, Evan Ezra, and, and he's not alone in this, is that, uh, no, the, Moshe didn't write the whole Torah. Part of the Torah, at least the last chapter in the Torah, wasn't written by Moshe at all. It was written by Yehoshua. All right. It's a controversial point, and not everyone agrees with it. But even if you want to accept this Ebenezer, you can say that's the last chapter, and, and it's seemingly quite obvious in the, in the context of the last chapter that Moshe didn't, you know, write that. Okay, but now we go a little bit further down, and now we're going to see some midrashim, which are qu- quite phenomenal when you read them for the first time. So there's a midrash, sorry, there's a midrash on uh, Mishlei. Mishlei is the book of Proverbs, and it says as follows. It says, I want to tell you, says the Medrash. So the Medrash, understand, the Medrash is, is something that is, teaches more philosophy than it teaches halacha. But it says as follows, all the festivals in the future are going to be nullified. There are not going to be festivals anymore. Except Purim. Every other festival is going to be gone. It says, not going to be Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, not going to exist anymore. All of them are going to be gone. Except for Purim. Why? Because Purim says, It says, Because Purim, there's an explicit verse. It says, The days of Purim will never be rescinded forever. So Rabbi Omer, So not only that, but also Yom Kippur will also stick around. But you look at that, you read this Medrash, and according to the Medrash, it says that, there isn't going to be a Pesach Shavuot Sukkot. There's not going to be a Rosh Hashanah. So all these festivals are gone. Hold on a second. The Rambam comes and says that that entire Torah is forever. It's eternal. You're not allowed to remove anything. You can't add anything. And yet we see a Midrash come and says, no, in fact, there are going to be uh, certain uh, things that are not going to be kept anymore. They're not going to be. So what about Mitzvah Shofar? Not going to be Mitzvah Shofar. Why? Because there's no Mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. What about Mitzvah Matzah, Maro, Pesach? All gone. So the Medrash is comfortable, apparently, that the Torah is going to change. That things in, in, in that, uh, Grant, we should say, when it talks about it, says, when it says, Atidim, in the future, these things are not, going to, uh, are not going to be there anymore. It's not talking about next week, next month, next year. It's talking about in Messianic era. Things are, things are going to change. And when the Mashiach comes, things are going to change as far as mitzvot go. All right. So that's a second point. So we've seen the Ebenezer comes and says that already the Torah we have is not the Torah given at Moshe. It's already changed. Then we have here the Medrash come and says, not even the, the festival is going to come. But even the Torah, and this, this is something which if you've never heard this idea before, this is going to blow your mind. So this is a Gomorrah. This is not a, a commentary. This is a Gomorrah. So when we go to the, we said the Torah that we have in the Aaron Kodesh, the Torah that Moshe got, is, does anyone believe that? 
So before you say yes, someone believes it, but the Rambam says, even the Rambam doesn't believe it. Why? So this is the Talmud. I'm going to read the, I'll, I'll, I'll scroll down to the English author. It says, Ama Marzutra Item Marukva. So uh, Marzutra, as I said, as follows. When the Torah was originally given to Moshe, it was in a Hebrew font, Ktavivri, Hebrew font, and in Hebrew, and Belashona Kodesh, in the holy, holy tongue. But in the time of Ezra, so this is the time of the second temple. Okay? So when we went, Purim story happens between the temples, then Ezra, who's the leader of the Jewish people, goes up to post-Purim to build the second temple. And at that time, the Torah is re-given or re-transcribed. And it was given in the Assyrian script and in Aramaic that the Torah is given. Now, I appreciate this. Meaning as follows. I've, I've gone to the effort of showing you a little scripture. The Torah was given. Now, we have... Ktav Ashurit. Any when you read Torah script, so whether it be in your 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 Chumash, what we call Hebrew is not Ivrit. I, I don't know how to say that. It is not. It is Assyrian script. So you you be more familiar. There's lots of different fonts. The font that we use that we call Hebrew is not Hebrew. It is a Syrian script, Ashurit. It is a Syrian script. The word is Lashana Kodesh. So we do have the Torah in Lashana Kodesh. It's not in Aramaic. The New Testament, if I'm not mistaken, was written in Aramaic rather than uh, in, in, in Lashana Kodesh. But the text is written in Ktav Ashuri. Now, here you go. So if, if you were to... Um, let me get my little pencil here. So that is an Aleph. Now that is not what we call an Aleph. This is what, this is exactly what, this is Ktav Ivri, this is Hebrew font. That is what the Torah looked like. The Moshe brought down, that is what the Torah looked like. What do we have? We have this. So, you could say, it's like the Greco-Roman, uh, the Greco-Roman alphabet. That is what we use. We have a written Hebrew in the Greco-Roman alphabet. So, so it's, it's happened so long ago and we are so accustomed to the fact that we think that the, the Torah we have was written that way when Moshe Rabbeinu got it. No, this is what it looked like. Now, why did it change? How did it change? What was the reason for changing? These are all good questions. But the, the Tachlis is, is the Torah we have is not the Torah Moshe got. Everybody agrees on that because that's what the Talmud says, is that we have changed at this. And again, when, you, when, you, when we talk about uh, Ivrit, uh, we write Ivrit. Throughout rabbinic literature, from the Talmud to modern Hebrew, they say, what script? Like, you want to write a Megillah, you want to write a Mezuzah. What is the script that you've got to use? It's Everyone agrees. It's Ktavashurit. It is a Syrian script. It is not Ktavashurit. If you, now, I, I don't know, if you were to write a Mezuzah, or say for Torah, with, uh, with the uh, ancient Hebrew alphabet, would it uh, be kosher or not? I don't know. But one thing I do know is I don't know anyone knows how to read it. You know, if I were to write, uh, you know, anything with these letters, I mean, it. it you first time you read, you know, Rashi script, which is a different font that we use for a lot of uh, rabbinic literature. You first read it; it's, it's hard to tell some of the letters what exactly they stand for. But I mean, if you look at these, uh, <coughs> this is a tzadi. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, now almost none of the letters look like the way we would accustom uh, them. So we see already here. Now, for the third proof, is that the Torah that we have. Definitely isn't 
the Torah that was given to Moshe. It has changed over time and it seemingly has changed with the blessing of all the rabbis. This is not a, a, a modern concept. So we've got from Ebenezer, from what, the 11th century, we've got, we've got, um, the, the Ebenezer is saying that we've got the, Mish, the, the Medrash. The Medrash is talking around the time of the Mishnah. We're talking around the year 6-700. That talks about the fact that the festival. Here we have the Gomorrah itself also around the year 6-700. That we've got the Gomorrah itself telling us things have changed. So time and time again we're seeing that the Rambam's words seemingly are, are uh, contradictory to that which we see within the, in the world of uh, Jewish literature. Now, one of the more well-known... Um, Philosoph philosophical works and through Malaysia's was the Rav Yosef Albo. We have quoted him before in our philosophy shirim, but he wrote a book called the um, <coughs> called the um, Sefer Ikarim. So in Sefer Ikarim, and I did not bring the Hebrew here because it is a bit lengthy, but I think it is quite profound what he says. So he says as follows: There is nothing, therefore, to prevent us from supposing that the divine law may, in the future, permit some things which are forbidden now like fat or blood or the slaughter of animals outside the temple. Okay, so we don't eat blood. That is why the meat, at, uh, that's why you have to do shechita, is to remove the blood. Certain fats aren't eaten, which is uh, why you've got to do something called trabering, which is uh, after the animal shechted, you have to remove certain fats. These things were originally forbidden. Now, what he's going to bring here is something quite profound. He's going to bring a rationale for why Hashem commanded us to do certain mitzvot. And this is something which is based on something the Rambam says in his work, The Guide to Perplex. He says, These things were originally forbidden when the Israelites left Egypt because they were addicted to the worship of evil spirits and ate the flesh with blood and also ate fat and blood. As we read in relation to killing of animals outside the temple, they should no more sacrifice to sacrifice unto the demons. Now that is a passage that comes from out of Devarim that it says that people, so much of w w temple worship was there to exude, um, to exhume the this pagan desire within us? We were addicted to the worship of evil spirits. Everybody was worshiping um, spirits and and idol worship, and so the temple itself took on a permissible way of serving Hashem that was similar to the way that the pagans were worshipping their God. But when this form of worship has been forgotten, all people shall worship God, and the reason of the prohibition will cease, it may be that God will again permit it. Meaning as follows. And, and he says it, in, and we're going to see it in, in a stronger way shortly from Rav Cook. but when, for most of us, the whole concept of animal sacrifice is quite foreign. And so Rav Yosef Abel is saying is that it was for him. But in the ancient world, it was, it was the path of the course because everybody worshipped their gods through sacrifice, through blood sacrifice. So what did Hashem do? Hashem said, all right, so we've got this terrible desire to slaughter animals or to slaughter in, in, in ritual um, service. So Hashem created a permissible way of doing it to try to remove from within us this desire for for blood sacrifice. So it was through the temple. You couldn't sacrifice anything. You could only sacrifice certain things. You couldn't sacrifice anywhere. You could only sacrifice in certain places. But in the time, it says, but when this idea, when this desire is removed from us, we no longer have this blood thirst. So it could be that, that we, there's not going to be any need for any of these sacrifices. And all the prohibitions that were only prohibited to try and wean us off the pagan worship, since they're no longer needed, we're not going to have them anymore. 
It says, Yimla, they say, comments on the biblical, that it says, uh, Hashem, we say it every morning, Baruch, Matir uh, Asurim. So he says that should be understood as Baruch Matir Isurim, that Hashem one day will permit that which is forbidden. So this keeps up. To sum up, I see no evidence or any necessity from Maimonides' argument, from the Rambam, that the immutability or repability of the law should be a fundamental principle of divine law, generally, or, the, or of the law of Moses in particular. Meaning, he's explicitly arguing against the Rambam. He says, uh, the Rambam's idea that the children have changed. I, I don't know where, why he's forced to say that. This is also the opinion of my teacher of Chastai, namely that it is not a principle or dogma of the law of Moses, but he says that it is a doctrine which everyone professing Mosaic law should believe. The reason he gives... Right. The reason he gives that if we examine all of possible mosaic law, we find that they embrace all of those moral qualities, theoretical ideas, which are calculated to give perfection to the soul in some manner. The reason is similar to that which we quote from Mamadis. Guys, we will come back to this. Okay. So in essence, he says there, there's a reason for why the Rambam says what he says, and we're going to come back to it shortly. But in a nutshell, is that don't think for a second that it's not possible that certain mitzvot that now are prohibited will now be permissible. So up until now, we've talked about certain things that are obligated, will no longer be obligated. We saw in the Mishlei that it said that certain festivals, certain festivals will stop. So that one, and then we saw in other ways that um, certain festivals will stop, and we saw in other ways that uh, certain uh, mitzvot uh, will stop. That, uh, But now we come and see that certain um, prohibitions will become permissible. Okay, I want to just uh, go into, I'm going to skip this. There's a Hasidic idea which comes and talks about that in the Mashiach, and I'll explain it outside. But last thing I want to do is Rav Chaim David Levi, who was the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. Now, he's quoting something quite profound from the Rambam. And uh, not from the Rambam, uh, from Rav Kook. So Rav Kook was the first chief rabbi of, uh, of, of, of what was in the pal- Palestine. And he says as follows. He says, it says, want to know that in the Beit HaMikdash, when the divine authority is revealed, divine presence, it is possible, it is possible that there will be no longer a need for any sacrifices, daily sacrifices. Why? So he quotes, it will be permissible just to use uh, plant-based sacrifices, wheat-based sacrifices. Won't be any animals. Now, why? Now, Rav Cook was a big uh, vegetarian and the like, and he said, why? So he quotes something we say every morning, or every, after every Amidah, which says, and it should be pleasing to you, Hashem, our offering in Yehuda, in the tribes of Yehuda and Yerushalayim, like the good old days. So he says, the word mincha, so we said mincha in the afternoon, but the word mincha is an offering. So he says, we're hoping that our davening should be as pleasing to you, like an offering. But it says, the word mincha never refers to animal sacrifice. It only refers to a uh, vegetarian sacrifice. So therefore, Kabbalah says, is that, so that's the case. It's possible that ideally in, in, in the Mount of Mashiach, there are not going to be any more uh, need for these sacrifices. All right. So that's the source sheet. So as you can see, it seems quite, quite clear that this idea is not so uh, clear, at least that the Rambam's idea that there's a, that in Mount of Mashiach, uh, so that, that, that the Torah never changed. It is possible that it changes. So I'd like to give two approaches. 
Um, one approach is understanding what it means. When the Rambam comes and talks about the idea that the Torah never changes, it is possible that we have an a concept that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov kept the entire Torah. Now, even though the Torah wasn't given, it says that they kept it. So the way that the commentaries understand that is that the mitzvot that we have are a means to an end of having a relationship with Hashem. It is, so to speak, the crutch that allows us to walk. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did not need the crutch. They could have that relationship with Hashem and they could fulfill and connect to Hashem in a way that in a post-Torah given world, we need mitzvot to do. So um, Avram could connect to Hashem. What I need tefillin to do, Avram could do without tefillin. What I need kashrut to do, Avram could do without kashrut. So it's not that they didn't, they didn't fulfill the form of the mitzvah, but they fulfilled the content of the mitzvah. Whatever we need, the mitzvah is there. And it's possible that what the Rambam means is in the time of the Mashiach is that we will all be elevated to such an extent <clears throat> that we can connect to Hashem as well without necessarily having to follow the formal uh, way of the mitzvah. We don't have to do the mitzvot in the way that we're doing now, but we all have what's called the kium, the fulfillment of them by, by uh, our, our elevated state. So we will be, be able to so to speak, fulfill the mitzvah of tefillin without actually having to put on tefillin. Be able to fulfill the mitzvah of Pesach without actually having to have a Seder. That's one way of understanding it. And I like that, and that's, you're going to see, I, I didn't quote the uh, Hasidic Menachem uh, uh, Vitebsk who said that. The other way of understanding it, and this is seemingly the one that uh, many of the other commentaries understand it, is understand that when the Rambam wrote the 13 principles of faith, he wasn't writing a philosophical truth. It wasn't that he, when, he, when he put in these 13 articles that this is what Judaism is and if you don't believe it, you're a heretic. What the Rambam was doing is writing for the layman that we need to put 13 basic principles that Joe Average, who's probably illiterate and needs to have something simple to hold on to. So we need to give him simple principles. We need to say, this is what we believe. The Torah that we have is always going to be. But not that he believed it, that it is really the truth, that this is what we definitely believe, but rather it needs to be understood that, that for, for simple people, it's like, for simple people, you need to say that when you do a mitzvah, it makes Hashem happy. When you do a nevaira, it makes Hashem angry or sad. Does it really make Hashem angry and sad or happy? Answer is no, it doesn't. But when you educate people with a simple understanding, that's the way you need to do it. And so, so seemingly that's, that would be the key, that the, that, that the Rambam's 13 principles of faith are not doctrines and dogmas that are, um, you, you know, if you, you're a heretic, if you don't believe them, but rather they are principles put out for those who need them. So if you want a, a, a quick Google search of what is Judaism believe, that the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. But if you're a serious scholar and you actually want to understand the, faith, the principles, um, then you understand that they're not necessarily true. Well, at least not true as they expect. All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I'm going to allow everybody, if you would like to unmute yourself, I'm going to unpin myself. So if you'd like to ask any questions, by all means, um, how do I uh, replace Spotlight? I don't know. I don't know how to unmute Spotlight. Unmute Spotlight. There we go. All right. Anyone, if you have any questions, please unmute yourself. Yes, Mina. Unmute yourself. You're muted. You're muted. Sorry. No worries. Um, 
Okay. 